0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis, your movie trivia and discussion podcast. Please like the Facebook page and leave your comments or questions there at facebook.com slash Screen Facts. You can also tweet me at Jason Davis voice or email screenfacts at yahoo.com if you want to join in the conversation. Please rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes to automatically get new episodes every Wednesday. Well, joining me again on this episode is my brother from another mother, my good pal, Tim Donnelly. Welcome again, sir. Thanks, man. How you doing? Great. Great to have you again. And great to be here again. Very excited to close out Hughes-a-palooza with you. <laughs> That's great, man. This I month, love it. This month we've been celebrating John Hughes and uh, no better way to end the Hughes-a-palooza yeah. than with, uh, again, one of his... I mean, they're all great. They're all great movies. But this one is actually the number one high school movie, according to Entertainment Weekly. Okay. The Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club. Written and directed by John Hughes. John Hughes wrote the screenplay to the movie in just two days, two days. July 4th and 5th of That's 1982.
1: ridiculous. And he's doing it July 4th weekend, no less. Right? Instead of being out celebrating the birth of the nation, he's, he's inside writing a movie. Communist. <laughs> so the movie just actually turned
0: 31 years old. It was released February 15th, 1985.
1: That's right. 31st anniversary.
0: Unbelievable. Wow. God, we're getting old. <laughs> Jesus.
1: Yeah, shit, we are.
0: Filmed from March to May of 1984, estimated budget of just a million bucks, which is not a lot for a movie, especially one from a major studio.
1: That's a a bargain, especially if you're talking about this is the 31st anniversary. Right. Uh, A million dollars is not a lot. To make a movie today, right? Uh, I can imagine back then, sure. probably a, a pittance.
0: Yeah, exactly. But it actually made a lot of money comparatively because uh, it it grossed about forty five point eight million, yeah, domestically, and then fifty one point five million worldwide. So it definitely turned a profit. And that's just in the movie theaters. I mean, when it came out on video, forget right. about it. This thing's got you know,
1: which I, I have it's to legendary. confess, I, I didn't see this movie in the theaters. Really? I and I don't remember why. I don't know if it was <laughs> because it was. It was rated R and I wasn't allowed to go or I had committed one of many um, infractions and I was grounded. (laughs) Oh, no. And I wasn't allowed to go. But I saw this on uh, kids. VHS.
0: Oh, yeah. Right? VHS, baby. You could have said Betamax. It really blew my mind. I definitely saw this in the theaters, but of course, you know, when it came out in video and on cable and over the years, I mean, I've seen oh, it yeah. in every format available, I Right, think, right. Over and over again. It, it it never gets old. Never. Stands up very well yeah. so many years later. It's great.
1: And, and when this came out on videotape, this was a very popular thing to watch when you would go over other people's houses. Sure. VCRs had exploded and so had <laughs> video rental stores. Oh, yeah. And so The Breakfast coming I mean, all of John Hughes' movies, This and Sixteen Candles and Weird Science and Ferris Bueller, very popular at uh, middle school and high school parties in the
0: 80s. Yeah, and you want to talk about right place at the right time. John Hughes
1: was definitely the right guy in the right place at the right time. (sighs) Yes, he was. Some teacher friends of mine, they'll show this in class, especially if they teach sociology. And when you get to popular culture or teen culture, I know some teachers who will show this in the classroom, and always I hear from them that the response from the students is overwhelming. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. So you actually uh, did something very cool recently. A 30th anniversary screening of The Breakfast Club with Q&A by Molly Ringwald afterwards, and it was awesome it was the first time I'd seen the breakfast club in a theater and man they had this thing pumped through the most incredible sound system in this concert hall that's built for symphony orchestras nice. at the New Jersey Performing Arts Center and I went with my sister-in-law Jen and we just made it there on time and literally as soon as our asses hit the seats you heard the boom 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 boom, boom of don't you forget about me it was great the crowd was into it the crowd was pumped you heard people saying the lines and oh, like yeah. everybody knew all the lines and <laughs> it looked like most of the people there were were our age or yeah. early to mid 40s and it was pretty obvious how much this movie meant to oh, all yeah. of us there was just this kind of shared ambiance of we're all in this together and this movie <laughs> means a lot and it was great and i will talk later in the podcast about some of the things that molly ringwald revealed to us during the q a
0: okay so uh of course you know if you've seen this movie I would imagine you have if you're listening to this podcast, (laughs) but uh, as we all know, this was probably the cornerstone of the Brat Pack movies.
1: Right. This is the one, for my money. Yeah, no, I would agree with you. This is the go-to Brat Pack movie. Uh, Brat Pack, by the way, they didn't like that <laughs> moniker. They were, they were none too pleased when the reporter from New York Magazine saddled them with that.
0: If anybody from the cast happens to hear this podcast, mm-hmm. I apologize for calling you the Brat Pack. We're, we're I not. actually thought it was a term of endearment.
1: At first, they took it as as an insult or a slight yeah. because they didn't like being referred to as Brats. bratty. Yeah. Over the years, I think it's. A term of endearment.
0: So, Emilio Estevez, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, Ali Sheedy, Anthony Michael Hall, and Paul Gleason are your stars. Ah, the late great yes. character
1: actor Paul Gleason.
0: They were all not teenagers. No, they weren't. <laughs> Actually, two of them were. When they were filming the movie, the ages of the main cast: Judd Nelson was the oldest at twenty-five. Okay, so the age of a college graduate right. at that point. Right. Emilio Estevez, twenty-three, and okay. Ali Sheedy as well. Right. Molly Ringwald was sixteen. Wow. And Anthony Michael Hall was 17. They were
1: babies. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. So, And, and the interesting thing, too, is that Emilio Estevez, Judd Nelson, and Ali Sheedy also played college graduates same year, in, 1985, in, in St. Elmo's, Elmo's Fire. Fire. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of funny that they're playing high school students and college
1: graduates in the same in, year. In the same year, in 85, <laughs> Yeah. Very impressed, by the way, at both Anthony Michael Hall and Molly Ringwald. I was sort of cognizant of the fact that they were both very young when they did this, 16 and 17 years old. But if you watch the movie, I mean, really watch the movie, I think that they both kind of give this, this wisdom beyond their years performance. Definitely. A little known fact about the movie is that, uh, believe it or not, it was originally suggested there would be several sequels to The Breakfast Club, one every 10 years or so in which the characters would get back together. But this never happened because the relationship between John Hughes and Judd Nelson was pretty volatile. In fact, Hughes almost fired Judd Nelson because of his negative attitude toward Molly Ringwald off-camera. Judd Nelson showed up at the audition as the character... John Bender, and he stayed in character because he figured, hey, what the hell, why not go for it? And ironically, it was Paul Gleason who plays the principal that really rides Bender. <laughs> Paul Gleason convinced John Hughes that uh, Judd Nelson was really a great actor. He was just going method, trying to stay in character. But still, John Hughes said that he would never work with Judd Nelson again. He he's, is very intense. Yes. I don't know if he's like John Bender in real life. I hope not. I was watching the documentary special on the DVD. Okay. I think it was, I don't know if it was uh, John Capellos okay. who plays Carl, right the janitor, mm-hmm. or Anthony Michael Hall. One of them says that Judd Nelson is nothing in real life like his character, John. Bennett. Oh, that's that, that just gives you he's more respect. He's sweet, he's funny, he's kind, he's generous. They had nothing but wonderful things to say cool. about him. And even Judd Nelson admits, yeah, well, you know, it's Kind of an asshole, but I wanted to stay in character. I figured, what the hell? Judd Nelson was so into character that he went undercover at a local high school just outside of Chicago, and he convinced the students there that he was a legitimate high school student. <laughs> he bought beer for them with his fake ID, and then Nelson told him to drop him off at the hotel where all the rest of the actors were staying, and he told the kids, you know, he said, well, they would ask me, why was I staying at this hotel? And I just said, ah, uh, I'm staying there while my dad's incarcerated because my dad's in jail and I got no place to stay. <laughs> that's pretty great. That, that's his, that's his quote method, quote-unquote fake ID, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's definitely method. And you know what? Good, good for him. If that helped him get into character, and if that helps him sell the character of John Bender, then... Yeah, you got me convinced.
0: Well, Judd Nelson. Um, by the way, you mentioned before that he auditioned as the character. The mm-hmm. outfit that he wears in the movie was what he actually wore to the audition. Oh yeah. So he was like John Bender from he the word go. He walked
1: into the audition as John Bender, which yes. is
0: very cool. Yeah, good for him. There was a movie that he did uh, also in the eighties called From the Hip. From the Hip, where
1: he plays a lawyer and John Hurt is yeah. on trial and he's getting yeah. amazing, great, amazing movie. in that. And that's great another movie. movie that
0: I, I really want to revisit.
1: I got to find a copy of that somewhere. Yeah, that's good stuff from yeah. the hip.
0: And what's interesting is some of the other people that were considered and almost even were in the movie. Yeah, some other interesting choices
1: for uh, for
0: these roles. John Cusack Mm. had auditioned several times for the Bender role, and he was cast as John Bender. And John Hughes dropped him in favor of Judd Nelson after uh, the casting director put in uh, their influence. Right. And... Nicholas Cage was also considered for the role, but uh, they couldn't afford to pay him. His salary was too high.
1: Young man, have you finished your paper? <laughs> Does Barry Manilow know that you raided the Declaration of Independence? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. No,
0: it's actually pretty good. So Jodie Foster was considered to play Claire, and Brooke Shields considered to play Allison. Robin Wright and Laura Dern also auditioned for the role of Claire.
1: Okay, I get it. I can see that.
0: And also, Molly Ringwald was originally asked to play Allison, but wanted to play Claire. And she obviously convinced John Hughes in the studio to -hmm. to make the change. Yeah. Emilio Estevez was originally going to play Bender. John Hughes couldn't find somebody else to play Andrew Clark. So Emilio took that role instead. Nice. And another cool thing in the movie, Anthony Mm -hmm. Michael Hall's real life mother and little sister, Mercedes, the mother and younger sister, Mary Christian, play his mother and sister. At the beginning, dropping him off. Yep. And who plays
1: his father picking him up from detention?
0: An uncredited John Hughes. John Hughes. Very cool. And the BMW that Claire's father Mm -hmm.
1: is driving her to school
0: in belonged to John Hughes. Really? That was his
1: BMW? Yep. Interesting. Yep. And if you look, when John Hughes comes to pick Brian up mm-hmm. at the end of detention, the license plate on the front of his car says uh, EMC2. Right. E equals MC squared. Yep. And Andrew's father has a vanity plate that says Ohio State.
0: Okay. This is another interesting thing that's very unusual about this movie. It was shot entirely in sequence. Wow. Which they never do. John Hughes had them actually rehearse as if it were a play. Okay. The whole movie from start to finish a couple of times before they actually started the film. And that probably helped with the budget too. Sure. I think. I'm I'm sure.
1: But it has it has the feel of a, of a play almost. It does. Almost like like a like a high school play. You have five main characters mm-hmm. and a couple of supporting side characters and the action uh, more or less, takes place in one central location. Right, kind of, kind of like a play. I'm amazed
0: this hasn't been turned into a Broadway show or, or something like that. I would love to see this on the stage. I yeah, think it would me be too. Amazing. I think it would work. And a lot of it was there was some improvisation too, which is very cool.
1: Yeah, he was not afraid to let the actors improv, and he, you know, his script was not gospel necessarily. Yeah. If uh, if the actors came up with something great, it would it made it into the film.
0: And that honestly speaks volumes of John Hughes. Yes, because I agree. He's the writer. Right, so I mean, you know, for him to not be protective of his own work, yeah, when he's the writer director, and I don't know if he produced this too. Good for him, yeah. You know, when the actors came up with something uh, really cool, like for example, the the scene when they're all sitting on the floor in the library, yeah. And they're talking about why they uh, were in there. Why they're
1: all in detention for the day.
0: That's all unscripted, right? It's amazing. That was all ad-libbed by the actors. Yeah, I mean, to come up with uh, with that kind of stuff is very yeah. cool.
1: Great line in that scene where uh, Brian's reason for having a, a fake ID is, so I can vote. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Michael Hall ad-libbed that. Yeah, that was great. great.
0: That's great. And uh, and you would believe that from from Brian Johnson. Yes, yes, you would. From so. Brian
1: Ralph Johnson. Your middle <laughs> name's Ralph, as in puke. <laughs>
0: I always thought it was funny that his name was Brian Johnson, too. He's the singer from ACDC. <laughs> the singer from ACDC, right. <laughs> like the complete opposite of that About guy. About as
1: un-rock-and-roll as uh, totally, you can possibly totally. <laughs> Uh Some other interesting things. Uh, the dandruff that Allison shakes onto her pencil drawing for the snow. Uh, that was done by, <laughs> <laughs> by sprinkling Parmesan cheese <laughs> onto the sketch. Um, and uh, Allison, you know, she doesn't speak until 33 minutes into the movie. The first actual thing she
0: says is, Ha! And then they all turn around and go, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I love the scene between Vernon and Carl in the basement. Yeah. When they're having a beer down by the, the files yep. and, and they're just going back and forth. You get to kind of see the real Vernon there.
1: Yeah, you know? he lets his guard down a little bit.
0: You know, I think, you know, we all grow up with teachers that impact our lives in good and bad ways. Yeah. You know, when, when we become adults, you look back and you go, okay, I get it now. I get why that teacher may have ridden me a little bit harder. Sure and was maybe a little bit tougher on me, but back then, I think the teachers that don't talk down to kids, they probably are more successful with connecting with kids.
1: Yeah, if if you treat them like adults, even though age-wise they may not be adults, at the very least, don't condescend to them. Talk to them like the intelligent human beings that they are.
0: Some teachers don't get that. Some teachers probably feel like they have to assert themselves, otherwise these kids are going to walk all over me or whatever, but... I don't know. I think no teenager wants to be uh, condescended to.
1: Oh, no. I didn't want to be condescended to not. when I was a teenager, when yeah. I was that age. And in the case of uh, Principal Vernon, it's clear that I think he's been doing it way too long. He's clearly unhappy in his life, and so he takes it out on the kids. Yeah. Because he's not happy where he is. Right. He, You know, they misery loves company. It's so well written. Yeah, That's it great. really is. It's awesome. Really is. Thank you, John Hughes. Yes, indeed. The quote at the beginning of the movie from David Bowie's song, Changes, mm-hmm. Ali Sheedy suggested that quote to John Hughes to kick off the movie. Yeah. And she found out that he used it when they went to the premiere. Oh,
0: that's so cool. And she saw it
1: up and she goes, ah,
0: oh, I told him about that. That's my quote.
1: How and he, cool. He never said a word. He just put it in the movie. Very cool. On her suggestion. And what better way to to sum up what the movie is all about? Yeah. These children that you spit on as they try to change their worlds... They're immune to your consultations, but they are quite aware of what they're going through. They get it. They know. In the mix of all the great cast members,
0: you almost forget about John Capellos as Carl, the janitor. <laughs> but it's he
1: He's one of my favorite
0: characters in the movie. He was in several of John Hughes's movies, too. Yeah, great character actor. But he... Um, jokingly warned the young actors not to get mm-hmm. too intense when they were performing because right. martin sheen once suffered a serious heart attack while doing apocalypse now Yeah, it almost killed him he didn't realize that emilio estevez <laughs> <laughs> was martin, martin sheen's, sheen's son. son yeah and you know emilio was a little pissed off right? about that none too
1: happy about the yeah joke.
0: Uh, he apologized to emilio sure emilio accepted his apology and no harm no foul there was you know it didn't affect the filming or anything like that right. So fast forward to 1999, Capello's guest stars on The West Wing with Martin Sheen, tells Martin Sheen the story, and they have a good laugh and They have about a nice it. laugh about it. That's great. <laughs> That's very funny <laughs> stuff. That's good stuff.
1: Interesting thing about uh, John Capello's character, Carl... He's listed in the credits, I think, what, either as Carl or Carl the janitor. But he has a last name. His last name is Reed. Uh-huh. Carl Reed, R-E-E-D. And you see that in the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. with the Anthony Michael Hall voiceover narration. Mm-hmm. Carl is, you know, he went to that high school. Wasn't he voted man of the year? He's voted man of the year <laughs> at high school. Great. And now he's back as the janitor. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and then when he says, I look through your lockers, <laughs> the look of shock that he <laughs> gets from John Bender. Yeah, because Bender's got drugs he's, in there and stuff. It's like, oh, <laughs> shit, he's seen my dope. Yeah, and then the ultimate goes. Oh, by the way, that clock's twenty minutes fast. Yeah, and then <laughs> he gets this little kind of uh, you know wise ass acknowledgement of a smirk from Bender. Like, right. you know what, Carl? Good for you.
0: Yeah, good exactly. for you to burn
1: us like that.
0: So you know it's interesting too. You know you look at the movie and you're watching. You go, wow, that is a cool library. Mm-hmm. Like I wish I went to that school. Spoiler alert: If you went to that school, <laughs>
1: you would not have seen that library.
0: No, because it wasn't actually a real library. Nope. And that blew my mind when I read this. Yeah. Um, The library was constructed in the gymnasium of Maine North High School, specifically for the film. Yes. The school had closed down a couple of years earlier in 1982. And the building had been used for Park District purposes before the Illinois State Police bought it. Uh, and there was a police station, which it is to this day. Right, so police station. I'm sure that there's people that walk around that station going, "Yeah, the Breakfast Club was filmed here.
1: <laughs> <I would. laughs> you can't talk about it, John. He was filmed without talking about the soundtrack.
0: Absolutely. Man. And in this case, you know, this movie by far had the biggest hit single that came from it right oh, of course simple minds don't you forget about me it was a number one hit for simple minds but they were not the first choice
1: for the artist to perform the song no they weren't before simple minds both billy idol and brian ferry of roxy music uh, both those guys turned down offers to record it first Although it's funny, in 2001, Billy Idol did record his own version of it as a bonus track for his greatest hits album. And the song was also turned down by Chrissy Hine of The Pretenders, who suggested that they offer it to Simple Minds because at the time, I'm sure it's not a coincidence, she was married to Simple Minds' lead singer, Jim Kerr. Right. Just the way that that kick drum in the beginning, it's amazing. The song still has resonance. Oh, totally. I don't think it's any surprise to uh, the listeners and podcast land that you and I, we used to work for uh, for a trivia company. In between asking the trivia questions, we'd play songs. Every time I would play this song without fail, I'd get someone to come up to me go, oh, it's a great song, and you'd see people kind of bobbing <laughs> along and singing along and right. tapping along. <laughs> Such a great song.
0: Before I started pursuing voiceover Mm full-time, you know, for many years I worked in radio. Yes. And when I was working at um, Light Rock Station down in in Charlottesville, Virginia... I used to play this song all the time, you Mm -hmm. know, and it probably still gets played. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's got legs as strong as the movie. Let's put it that way. (laughs) A great great song song is a great song. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the reason that the song is still so successful, probably, is because the movie still resonates. You know, I think...
1: When I think about this movie... Mm-hmm. It makes me think about the song. Right. And when I hear the song, I think about the movie.
0: Right. You go, oh, I want to watch The Breakfast
1: Club. Yes. And it's great. Yes. That's when you've made your mark. On, <laughs> right. You
0: know, that's a strong argument for this being the greatest John Hughes film, period. Yeah. I mean, it's not my favorite. Uh, Ferris Bueller is definitely my favorite. For me,
1: it's either Ferris Bueller or 16 Candles with Ferris Bueller, maybe edging 16 okay. Candles.
0: Interesting. One of the famous things in the movie... And it was even talked about in another Universal film, Pitch Perfect, mm-hmm. is the end scene, the very end scene with Judd Nelson. Where Bender pumps his fist yeah. and raises his fist as he's walking across the field. Yeah. yeah. So as it turns out, that was ad-libbed, which is amazing because you go, That's, that seems like it's scripted. You right. Know? It makes sense.
1: But you, you could argue that that might be the, the indelible image right. of the movie is Bender with His Fist Up in Triumph as yeah. the sounds of Don't You Forget About Me play again right. as bookends to the film.
0: Yeah, they just kind of directed him, just do a couple of different actions as you're walking off yeah. into the sunset, scene. So right, just do something. Yeah, and he came up with that, and there you go. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Iconic. So good. So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, what you remember from the Q&A with Molly Ringwald. Sure. The infamous lipstick trick.
1: Somebody asked her about that at the okay. Q&A, <laughs> okay. and she admitted that she... She couldn't do that, and she didn't really do that, and that okay. was just some clever editing. So another thing that I read was
0: that her entire outfit that she wears in the movie was purchased specifically for the character from a Ralph Lauren store. Yeah. Uh, there was only one in Chicago at the time. John Hughes had rejected the original costume on the grounds that it wasn't sophisticated enough. Right.
1: He wanted Claire to be this sophisticated Right, because she's going to
0: be like the prom queen, and she's really right. rich, and blah, blah, blah. Right,
1: she brings sushi for lunch. Right. <laughs>
0: And you know, it's funny I, that scene kind of makes me laugh, right? Because I enjoy sushi now, but back then, you know, in the '80s, I mean, only cool people ate sushi, right, right? Right. You know, now it's a it's a very mainstream thing. Back then, I never would have eaten sushi in a million years. When I, I was back a then; teenager. I probably
1: wouldn't even have known what the hell sushi was. Right.
0: That that too. But when she's describing it, oh, raw fish. Raw that's fish. gross. Yeah. You won't accept the guy's tongue, guy's in, your tongue in your mouth and
1: <laughs> eat raw fish. Great line. And, and think about this. Um, how long was that sushi sitting there before she opens the box to eat it for lunch?
0: Even better than that, Emilio Estevez, Andrew, pulls a, a quart of milk out of his milk, bag. Milk, right. That's not refrigerated. Right. That's got to
1: be warm at that
0: point. Yeah, we were, we were commenting on that, too. Yeah. You kind of assume that maybe their lunches were in a refrigerator somewhere and they were brought in kind of thing. Oh, uh, who the hell knows? Who knows? I mean, anyway. So, <laughs> and that's another funny thing in the movie too, uh Ali Sheedy when she she takes the uh the olive loaf and flips it onto the statue. <laughs> it, st- it sticks. <laughs> but and then, then she falls down. then she like takes the uh I don't know if they're just sugar sticks or pixie sticks. What do you sticks? go, pixie sticks? Uh, they, yeah. they, I, I guess they're pixie sticks. Mhm. She makes a Captain Crunch sandwich. (laughs) My favorite thing about that is not only the construction, but then she puts it together. And then when she bites into it, the crunch she makes. It's so funny. (laughs) Like, oh, man.
1: Do you remember some of the other things that Molly Ringwald talked about? I do. Uh, A couple of other things she mentioned. uh, Somebody asked her... So what's the punchline to the joke that Bender tells as he's crawling through the drop ceiling okay. on his way back into the library? <laughs> and Molly Ringwald said that there, there is no punchline to the joke. It's just something, it's a setup that Judd Nelson made up. And um, one of the other things that she revealed uh, is a question that I asked her. Okay. I asked, how do you think that John Hughes, this guy in his mid-30s, was able to write uh, teenage characters so effectively. And she said that she was convinced that John Hughes was maybe suffering some kind of PTSD huh. from his high school years because he seemed to remember every insult, every slight, every bullying. <laughs> that's and amazing. That, that really stuck
0: with him, she said. Talk about taking uh, lemons and making lemonade. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, so if you're listening to this right now, and maybe somebody's giving you a hard time at work or at school or whatever, use that.
1: Yeah, because you never know what, what kind of uh, beauty you can, can come out of that. You never know. The question came up about music and John Hughes' use of music. She said that John was like this had this encyclopedia-like knowledge of music, and that he would take them to concerts. And that he would go to record stores and just scour the record bins trying to find new bands and new music and cool stuff. And he would make his cast members mixtapes because he was so into music and he wanted them to be into music the way that he was into music. Very cool. So he was definitely in tune with young people. Yeah. And the thing I appreciate about the John Hughes films is that he wrote teenagers seriously. Right. You know, these weren't caricatures. Right. These were real people who had real issues and something that I watching these movies growing up, I, I appreciated that. Yeah. I might not have been able to identify one hundred percent with one particular character, but right. I liked that, you know, they kind of took teenage problems seriously. Because when you're that age that's your world, yeah. and these really are, you know, oh, life-ending problems, and your world is rattled by having your heart broken or arguing with your boyfriend or arguing with your parents and your parents don't understand you. One of the, the lines in Breakfast Club that just kills me, and it really hit me, especially when I went to see it at the 30th anniversary screening, and you looked around and you saw other people were affected by it too. The scene where uh, Emilio Estevez and Ali Sheedy are talking mm-hmm. about their parents... And how Andrew's always, his father's always riding him. And he looks at Ally Sheedy and goes, what do your parents do? And she just goes, they ignore me. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's heavy. Heartbreaking. (laughs) Yeah. So, oh, it's so good.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think that's part of the reason why the, the film has such staying power, too. Yeah. Because all of us that grew up with it, we can still relate to that. Sure. And kids nowadays can probably relate to it on some level. And I think that there's probably a little bit of all of us in each of the characters. Yeah.
1: I mean, gun to your head, if you had to pick one, who do, would you most relate to? Oh, man.
0: Well, when I was a teenager, I was I was really into metal and, and hard rock or whatever. But I wasn't a bad boy like Bender. Right. I mean, you know, I wasn't an angel, mm-hmm. but I definitely wasn't into drugs. Oh, right. I was never like a troublemaker. Right. I guess in terms of the music that I liked was probably similar to him. Mm-hmm. I, was, I definitely wasn't a jock. And I wasn't a really great student. So I, I don't really relate to wanting to kill myself over pulling the trunk in a door. <laughs> right, right. I wasn't a popular kid like Claire. I may be a little bit like Allison. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't completely disconnected like she appears to be. Mm-hmm. I had my circle of friends that I hung out with. And I was kind of faceless in high school. So that's why I think I relate to Allison. Right. So if you're listening to this, I'd love to hear who you relate to the most out of the members of the Breakfast Club. You can either email ScreenFacts at Yahoo.com or you can go to the Facebook page Facebook.com slash ScreenFacts and comment there. Let us know. That's The Breakfast Club. Tim, thanks for coming in again. My pleasure, Jason, as always. All right. So thanks to you guys for listening, and thanks to our announcer, Kim. Remember, you can hear more from her at kymsvoice.com. Also, thanks to wickedradionetwork.com.
1: Screen Facts with
0: Jason Davis is a production of Jason Davis VoiceOver. Visit jasondavisvoice.com if you need a voice for a commercial, narration, promo, internet video, e-learning or training program, and more. Click on the podcast page to get information about where you can download and listen to past episodes. Listen again next Wednesday for a new episode of Screen Facts with Jason Davis.